Shalom, everyone. This is Luke Tanner from Zion Hebraic Congregation. I hope you enjoy today's message from the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 4 and 5 by Warren Tanner. When you get a chance, check out zionhebraiccongregation.com. You can find our other messages posted there as well as articles, essays, blogs, things like that. Enjoy. Mighty warriors arise, yeah. Freedom does not only away. The soon is the day when we see your face on the mount of your grace and zeal. Okay, let's go ahead and get started. We are, um, going to be looking at today, and not in their entirety, so don't panic when I say this, the Beatitudes. But we're going to start our reading in Matthew 4, chapter, uh, Matthew chapter 4, verse 13, and, when, and we're going to read through 5, uh, 12, or 13, we'll see. So, I, uh, going through the book of Matthew, it's my second time, this time going through. Um, actually, that's not true at all. It's, I made it through the Beatitudes, stopped and went through Matthew, uh, the Sermon on the Mount, then I went through this and just and went through the Sermon on the Mount again, and now I'm proceeding on uh, in in Matthew. And uh, but it happens every time when I'm in Matthew. Uh, and you read what we typically call the Sermon on the Mount, I can't read it just once because, I don't know, I just love, I love putting myself into that setting. I kind of, I try to transport myself back in time to be there. And because it's such a a long-flowing, continuous statement from Yeshua, um, I like to just bask in it as best as I can. You know, because I find it very encouraging, very challenging, very convicting. Uh, but overall, it's just, as I say on my blog, it's like a, it's like a, a window into the, uh, of, of what is going to follow next in Yeshua's ministry. To me, to me uh, the Sermon on the Mount kind of encapsulates what you're going to see throughout the rest of his life on this earth. And, and, and in many ways, I think he lives out the Sermon on the Mount. It's like, here's what I'm going to be uh, talking about today, folks. Then I'm going to go ahead and live this out, and I want you to do it with me. So that's why I, I just love uh, the, this section of verses. Now, here's how I've broken it up. I'll give this to you. Uh, first, the backdrop, that's chapter 4, 13 through 16. Then what I'm calling a break, chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. And then the blessings, uh, 5 through 12. And then lastly, the basis of the blessings. Okay, so that's what it's going to be. The backdrop, the break, the blessings, and the basis of the blessings. So let's go ahead and start. We'll uh, start reading at 4.13, and and I want to go here because this kind of starts a little bit of, it brings us into where we are in in chapter 
5. So 4.13. Now, when Yeshua had heard that John was... Uh, I'm sorry, that's 12. Let's start at 12. Now, when Yeshua had heard that John was cast into prison, he departed into Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he came and dwelt in Capernaum, which is upon the seacoast and the borders of Zebulun and Naphtali, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, by the way of the sea beyond Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people which sat in darkness saw great light, and to them which sat in the region and shadow of death, light is sprung up. From that time Yeshua began to preach and say, Repent! For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And Yeshua, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brethren, Simon called Peter and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. And he said unto them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And they straightway left their nets and followed him. And going on from thence, he saw other two brethren, James the son of Zebedee and John his brother, in a ship with Zebedee their father, mending their nets. And he called them, and they immediately left the ship and their father and followed him him. And Yeshua went, out, went about all Galilee teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing all manner of sickness and all manner of disease among the people. And his fame went throughout all Syria. And they brought unto him all sick people that were taken with diverse diseases and torments and those which were possessed with devils and those which were lunatic and those that had the palsy. And he healed them and there followed him great multitudes of people from Galilee, from Decapolis, from Jerusalem, and from beyond, sorry, and from Judea, and from beyond Jordan. Chapter 5. And seeing the multitudes, he went up into a mountain. And when he was set, his disciples came unto him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. And we'll stop there. It's interesting, and I heard a preacher, uh, I was listening to a message on this. And, you know, because in verse 11 and 12, you basically have a blessing for the same thing. Blessed are you when men revile you and persecute you, and shall say all men of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. Which I've always thought, well, it seems to be one beatitude because it's the saying the same thing. So is it, you know, one beatitude or two beatitudes? We have to pause for. Station, station identification here. All right, so, so what I thought was interesting, this preacher said that the, the persecuted are 
doubly blessed. And I thought that was interesting. I don't know if that's exactly what, what's being talked about, but I thought it was cool. So verse 11 and 12, perhaps it's, it's one theme talking about the persecuted, but those that are persecuted and many times unto death are doubly blessed. So I thought that was pretty cool. So I just kind of, this is not going to have necessarily any specific theme that I want to hit. I just want to just kind of rehearse this for us and perhaps in a way you've never thought about before. So, so first off, we have what I'm calling the backdrop. And I think it's important because you see that in chapter 4, verses uh, 12 through 17. Uh, Yeshua had heard that John was cast into prison, which uh, that was one of the other sermons I started and maybe one day we'll preach on is, is John, John the Immerser and the importance of his role uh, at this time in the ministry of Yeshua and before the ministry of Yeshua. But anyway, John's in prison. So he leaves Nazareth and we have this narrative of, of where he's going to go in the condition of the people. And so basically the first part of the backdrop is what we see is Yeshua is uh, upon, focusing upon and interacting in relation to those who are in death because that's what it says verse 16 the people which sat in darkness saw great light and to them which sat in the region and shadow of death light is sprung up so yeshua understood and i've tried to relate this in some of my other preaching he understood that though he saw a bunch of people around him all the time alive, he really realized that, as I've said, all lost people are in reality walking dead people. They are dead in trespasses and sin. They do not have the spiritual light and life of God living within them. And, and the, 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 the possible parallel correlation to that is, as I've said, it's like a zombie walking around. I mean, it's a dead person walking around. In a way, it looks like a person, acts like a person, but the life of it is gone. It's not there. All right, so when Yeshua comes, the backdrop of, of the Sermon on the Mount is he's dealing, first of all, with people who are in death, dead in trespasses and sin. The second thing that he's dealing with as a backdrop is in chapter 4, and that's verse 23 and a verse part of verse 24, and that's disease. It says, And Yeshua went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing all manner of sickness and all manner of disease among the people. And his fame went throughout all Syria. Uh, and and so, so he's dealing, and, and they brought unto him all the sick people that were taken with diverse diseases and torments. So, so you know, to me, I, I've not really looked at it like this because I wanted to know, because... You know, I go out and we all go out in the world and I, I wish the world could be like Shabbat all the time where we're kind of in this little cocoon of an environment that in essence is, is the, the, the fellowshipping that's going to happen when Yeshua's kingdom is set up. And so we come, we, we, we get recharged, we get reinvigorated, we get our focus straight, it, it makes us homesick for our home. But then we have to go out there. And out there 
is the same environment and the same kind of people that Yeshua came in contact with. He walked amongst the spiritually dead. He dealt with people who have physical diseases which might bring them to death or disfigurement, just like at work. I overheard a fellow that was talking about his his girlfriend uh, diagnosed with third stage breast cancer and it spread into the lymph nodes. And, and I was able to talk with him just a little bit to kind of, you know, he's needing somebody to talk with. Evidently, he said some of the fellow workers he was working with didn't really, you know, yes, oh, that's good, but don't enter in. So I heard that the next day I went by and started talking with him. And so, you know, and I said, you know, because you got to be careful anymore. But I said, listen, not to get weird with you here, but if you'd ever like to pray, you know, I'd be glad to pray with you. I said, I've been in the ministry, you know, blah, 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 blah. And, but, but, but that's a case of what Yeshua dealt with. You know, dead people who are having a disease, which in her case could potentially lead to death, right? Then there's another backdrop, and that's verse 24. And as you notice, it's all going to be in D's, but it kind of works out that way. So we're taken with diverse diseases and torments, and those which were possessed with devils, those which were lunatic, had the palsy and healed them. But this, this idea of he dealt with those that were demon-possessed. I mean, and I said, as I said in one of my blogs, it's like everywhere you turn, you know, during when Yeshua's on the earth, you're bumping into demons everywhere. You know, they're everywhere. And, and partly that may be because, you know, Yeshua is on the scene and, and Satan knows that he has to uh, 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 pull out all the stops. But it just seems like, you know, <laughs> demon-possessed people are everywhere and, and nobody thought another thing about it. Today, if we were to highlight demon possession, people think, you know, would look at us askance. What are you talking about demon-possessed? That's over in Africa. That's over in all these other third world countries where those poor people are demon possessed. Well, okay, yes, but you can have people in a three piece suit sitting in a great office running a big business, the pillar of the community, and still be demon possessed, right? Right. So we're dealing with people that are not only dead, like you should, diseased physically, but even demon possessed. But then we see the last one under this is. The backdrop to chapter 5 is the demands of the people on Yeshua. And that gets us to where we are. Verse 25, it says, And there followed him great multitudes of people from Galilee and from Decapolis and from Jerusalem and from Judea and from beyond Jordan. So, you know, I got thinking, I mean, this was a hubbub of activity swirling around Yeshua and the disciples all the time. I mean, he did not have a moment's rest. And you talk about somebody that was a classic case of potential burnout, it was Yeshua. And, and we, we know, it's, I think we're in the blog, I mean, he, he was hungry, he got tired, he wept. I mean, he dealt with the human side of humanity just like we do. And if, if and, and he, he had to be really, we would say, overworked. That's why I think he could be found in a boat 
the waves up around and whether they're crashing in on them, I don't know. But it's interesting where it says that it was a great storm. It's, it's actually the word for uh, earthquake. So because every other time the word is translated, it's translated earthquake. And so what's going on is maybe it was set off by an earthquake, maybe not. But it looked like an earthquake in the water. And I think when it talks about how the waves are going up, I don't know if they're crashing over him, but you know, you can, he's in between two swells, kind of like with an earthquake when the ground opens up and it goes, falls in. So here you have Yeshua. He has just been going straight out and he can fall asleep in the back of a boat. Everybody else is panicking. They're running to him saying, Master, carousel, not that we perish. And he says, what is wrong with you guys? I'm here. It's not going to go down while I'm here. And uh, it's a wonderful story. It's like, you know, in the ship of life. I got to remember that. But anyway, so, so he's surrounded by the demands of people. Then we get to chapter 5. And, and I think what we have here, point 2, is a break. I think there's a pause in the action. He, can I say it this way? He needs time out. He, he needs a break from the crowd. It's like, you know, every once in a while, a mother will say, here, the kids are yours. I just need a break. I just, I just need a break. They're yours. I've had them all day long. Yeah, well, honey, I've worked all day. I've gone there. No, sorry, they're yours. I need a break. And, and I think that's what we see here. Yeshua, being the human, though the word may flesh, needs a break. And he takes a break. So he says, seeing the multitudes, this is a big crowd. What's he do? He goes up into a mountain, gets himself set. His disciples come to him. He opens his mouth and teaches them. Wow. I just wish I had been there. I mean, really, what that would have been like. And, and you know, I don't know how high it was. I tried to read on this. You know, is it a hill, a mountain? You know, you know what was it? Was it like a, like a valley below? And so it had great acoustics because of, of the backdrop. I mean, I, I don't know. But while all this has happened, when, when Yeshua is walking up and he's getting himself ready, he gets set, sits down, and his disciples come to him. Can, can you imagine what you would be doing if you were in a crowd? You, Every eye would be focused on every move he's making. And I understand that, especially when I was pastoring my church. As soon as I walk in the building, you know, from the moment I get there until the moment I leave, it's like you are a constant focal point of somebody at some time. And so Yeshua was a constant focal point. And all this has been going on. He's, he's, um, he's created quite a press release through the things that he has done. And now the reporters and the people are coming to witness this event of Yeshua walking around. And so that's the break. It's a pause in the action. I kind of think, and I, it was probably... This is how I envision it. There was probably a dramatic pause. And what I mean by that is, uh, and some of you probably who listen to this, and I don't know here, uh, John McLaughlin and the Mahavishnu Orchestra. Anybody know that? John McLaughlin, he he's became a very well-known uh, jazz guitar player. But back in 72, whenever I heard him three times, 
he uh, he was into Mahavishnu and all this stuff, and I didn't know what that was. But he'd always come out on the stage, and he, he was dressed in his white garb. And then you'd have the drummer, uh, uh, the violinist. Uh, I forget if it had a rhythm guitar, and then it had a keyboardist. It, but he'd walk up to the front of the stage, and and everybody is anticipating the Savior coming to the mount, okay? This is what I want you to see. We're out there, sitting there. We're in the crowds, hubbubbing. Actually, we're smoking, passing joints up and down the aisle. The place was a mess. And, and, and then out walk the people onto the stage. The drummer takes his position. The violinist gets his violin. The keyboardist, and I think there was a bass player. And then John McLaughlin comes to the front in his white garb. And he would just stand there and wait until there was silence. And he would not start until all that was going on out in the crowd subsided and there was silence. And then he would hit that first and it brought you into the moment. That's how I envisioned this. If it was me, there out of curiosity and wanting to know for myself what this guy is all about. You know, I've heard him on the, on the record, on the LP. Now I'm going to get to see him on stage. What is he like? Well, that's what was happening here with Yeshua. So we have this break in all of the activity. And so there's the setting. It says, And seeing the multitudes, he went up into a mountain. And when he was set... I, I, you know, <laughs> I've read accounts of George Whitfield being able to speak out in the open air to thousands of people. And, and there's accounts of how his voice would carry. I was never able to imagine that until uh, a boss I had in one of the last places I worked in the warehouse. There was something about the timber of his voice that when he would just talk normal and another person was talking normally right next to him, I would be literally at the other end of the warehouse, which was, it's not a mile long, but I'd be at the other end. I would never hear what the other person said, but his voice in a normal tone carried everywhere. You could hear him on the warehouse floor just having a normal conversation. <laughs> when he and I had conversations and I was questioning him about something or challenging him about something, just discussion. You guys know me. I'm arms flailing. I'm real loud. He said, Warren, be quiet. Warren, be quiet. Because people walking by, they'd be like, Warren, they think you're yelling. I know you're not, but they don't know what's going on. And I forget how loud I get. Well, I want to say, all right, but when you talk normally, you're as loud as I am. But I wonder if, if there was something about the timber of Yeshua's voice that would have carried that just had that, that uh, pitch, I don't know what it is, that was just perfectly made to carry over the multitudes. I mean, he fed 5,000 and what, 4,000, is that right? Well, Decimus says double that. So here he speaks to all these people. How does that happen? And so to me, that's the setting. His voice carried well, you know. It just, oh, gosh, you know. I don't, know, I don't know what to make as a parallel, but picture it as you're excited to go to a concert and that person's going to get up there and sing, perform, whatever it is. And 
You anticipate it, and then that moment starts. That's right now. So he sees the multitudes. He goes up to the mountain. He sets himself. And now, now his disciples come up to him. And uh, he utters his saying. So that's when it says, And he opened his mouth and taught them sayings. So first you have the setting, then the sayings. And so this word, first off, that we hit is the word taught. It's, it's, it's the idea that he is going to present to them instructions for their lives of service to people and to God. This is what this is all about. When he opens his mouth and teaches them, he's going to give them instructions for their lives of service to people and to God. And then it says he taught them. And I think the them is, is, is primarily to the disciples, but as we know when we get to the end, everybody else heard what was said. So I think this, this is purposeful. Yeshua is setting himself apart, and then those who are close to him are those that are in his circle of, 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 of in instruction. These are his disciples. But we have others sitting out there. And so... This is, in essence, a personal time with his disciples while the crowd is allowed to receive the crumbs that fall from the table. <laughs> I think that's a good way to picture it. So, you know, it, it'd be like, you know, I'm talking to Jerry, uh, my boss at work. Well, he's my intended disciple, but everybody else out there is just hearing me as well. Well, it wasn't meant for them, it was meant for him, but they're getting the gist of it too. Well, this is what happens. And I think it creates this atmosphere of anticipation and an atmosphere of desire to, to be where those, you know, the front row ticket holders, <laughs> you know, the front row ticket holders, they're, they're right there. All right, so that, the break, you have the setting, and the sayings. And, and the interesting thing about this word here, blah, 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 what is it? Uh, taught. Sometimes when, 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 when uh, the instructor taught, it was a time for discussion. There was really two, two modes. There was a time when, when the teacher would put out a teaching and, and it would be open for discussion. Sometimes we have that. Most of the time we don't when it comes to preaching. But when we have informal times, we all sit around and discuss. You know, somebody will uh, jumpstart the conversation on a theme, and then, uh, then there's this open discussion. Whereas this on the, on the mount was a time you, you guys just listen. You listen. We'll take questions later. Right now, got to get through this. And so, so he, he instructs them, and, and it's a time to listen, not to discuss. Right, so we've had the backdrop, death, disease, demon possession, demands of people on Yeshua. We have, this is now a break from all that. He's pulling away from all the hubbub of the activity. You have the setting, the sayings, and then you come to the blessings. Now, I, I'm not going to look at these one by one. That's, that's not my intent. But I, I wanted to, for myself, figure out how I can group these uh, divide them, you know, warn, if you look at these, 
how do you see these? You know, you know, if those of you, I don't know if you, <coughs> some of you went to college, we had to do this, especially in Bible class, an Old Testament survey. We'd have to read like a whole book and then outline the whole thing. You know, blah. Um, you know, you had to take this whole thing and condense it into this short outline form that would say this is what's being talked about in chapter 1. Well, chapter 2 through 5 will say are, are under this theme. So, oh, okay, so break that down. So to me, this is the Sermon on the Mount, as we call it. And Yeshua is, is given these blessings. Well, how... What first off does blessed mean, and then how do you, can you possibly um, categorize these? All right, so now every time I read a word like blessed, that's, I just end up stopping right there. Well, what is blessed? How are we supposed to define this word? What, what is the intent of this word as, as we read it? You know, as Yeshua opened up his mouth and said, not, not English, but blessed, you know, <coughs> What does that mean? So, um, you know, lots of times it's, it's, and I don't know if it's right or wrong, uh, this word is, is translated or referred to as happy. Happy are those. But I've always heard the discussion where there's a difference between joy and happiness. And so then that sends my mind in, okay, based on my definitions of how I was taught, you know, happiness is circumstances, joy is based, happiness is based on circumstances, the outward things, joy is based that which is within. Well, that works great on paper. I don't know if that's actually for me true. You know, I can, you know, circumstance. So anyway, so how, how do you define this word blessed? Um, and, and everybody seems to have a thought, and I'm going to give you mine. But I, after I just decided to say, okay, Warren, stop. What, what is this talking about? In this context of these Beatitudes that we call, if... Somebody lives out these things, because that's how Yeshua ends this. He says, if, if, if you uh, listen to my sayings of doom, you're, you're the house on a rock. If you don't, you're the house on the sand. So knowing that's how it ends, I'm supposed to look at these beatitudes, these blessings, and, and come up with something. How am I going to put them into action? You know, we, we read these things, okay, blessed, 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 blessed. Okay, but what does that mean? You know, what am I supposed to do with this? What were they supposed to do with this? Well, the first thing is blessed. All right. But if you put it in relation to what then is talked about all this, what does it mean then to be blessed? All right. So I uh, came up with this definition all by myself. Then I happened to be listening to a preacher that was talking about this and ended up saying the same thing I said. So I was glad I thought of this first. But... Uh, I think it means this, in the light of everything that is talked about, especially when it ends up about being blessed in persecution. <laughs> happy when you're persecuted? Oh, come on. I mean, I'm human enough to say, I'm not going to be happy when I'm being persecuted and burnt at the stake. You know, that, that doesn't do me an ounce of good. You know, I, I'm going to be doing a funeral for my brother-in-law next week. Blessed are they that mourn. Happy are those that are mourn, mourning. Ah, it just seems short for me. It falls short. I'm not saying it's not true and that you can't have a joyful happiness in this. But So to me, blessed. To be honestly 
completely and joyfully at peace with God's will and purpose for one's life. And I really think, I, tried, I worked on that to find that, narrowed it down to this. Blessed. To be honestly, completely, and joyfully at peace. That's the key, I think. At peace with God. Sorry, at peace with God's will and purpose for one's life. That's what it means to be blessed because what you have in these short verses is basically a microcosm of the experiences of life. One way or another, at some time or another, we're going to be in here, in these blessings, in these beatitudes. So, okay, so as we go through life, and we're faced with death, sickness, illness, loss. I mean, suicide. I mean, you name it. This is a journey we are called upon to walk in the name of Yeshua. So, he says, while you're doing it, be blessed. I say, what does that mean? And based on this other preacher that I heard not too long ago, who preached this message almost 40 years ago, who is still in the ministry now, I think it means to be honestly, completely, and joyfully at peace with God's will and purpose for one's life. It's like that one pastor whose name I won't mention that one Wednesday evening service, talking about he wanted more people to come out to the service, and Judy and I are sitting there, it was a small crowd, Wednesday night crowd. You know, hands off to pe- hats off to people that make it for a Wednesday night meeting. I mean, really. I'm, I'm, I wouldn't go. <laughs> I don't know if I'd make Sunday night. So to berate people for not coming on a Wednesday evening service, I think, is, is not fair. But anyway, he, he said, Now, Mother, what you need to do is lay out your children's clothes on their bed so that they can get dressed and get ready to come. And, and to do it cheerfully, comfortably, and happily. Now, what world does that pastor live in? It's not my world. But I thought, that is really what Yeshua is saying. We are to cheerfully, comfortably, and happily do the will of God. We can, if we will, yield to his will for our life, walk through it cheerfully, comfortably, and happily, because that's the will of God. I mean, that's the will of God. So Yeshua is saying this at different times and for different people and in different ways is going to be God's will for your life. I want to help you be able to navigate that without losing faith and actually having your faith strengthened so that when you're walking on the water because you see Yeshua, and you are happy you're doing this, but all of a sudden you look at the circumstances around and you start to sink, you still can be pulled up by the hand of Yeshua and you don't lose faith. So, blessed. Here's my breakdown. How are we, or how can we be blessed as we navigate the path of life under the will of God knowing that Yeshua himself instructed us. All right, this is how I've broken this down, and we're not going to go into it much. All right, how? 
First off, with we can be at peace with the will of God and its purpose for our life in our circumstances. That's the first one. Second, we can be blessed in our opportunities. And third, we can be blessed in our trials. That's it. That's how I broke it down. Blessed how? With one's circumstances or in one's circumstances. With one's or in one's opportunities or with or in one's trials. That's to me how I break, break it down. So with one's circumstances, verses 3 through 6. One's opportunities, verses 7 through 9. And then the trials, verses 10 through 12. That's my death outline. Nobody else's. If it doesn't fit for you, that's fine. Um, it took me all these years to finally buckle down and make myself come up with my own. But that's how I break it up. All right, now. Our rabbi, I, don't, I guess that's the right term, Yeshua, our instructor, Yeshua, we're sitting at the mount at, right now. We're, we're, we're his disciples, actually, but make believe we're just there somewhere. He is, at this point, preparing, really, his disciples for life after him. It's really what this is. He is preparing his immediate circle to be able to function after he's gone. When they can't walk with him, talk with him, see him, hear him, be comforted by him. In other words, like us. <laughs> like us. They don't know yet what they're going to be called upon to face. He's saying, this encapsulates pretty much it, guys. People, those who are sitting here today. That's the beauty of the Sermon on the Mount. Because it's all about circumstances. It's all about opportunities. And it's all about trials. That's life. It's taken me a long time to really see this, but it is. All right, so first off, blessed how with one circumstances. So in this you have the poor, those that mourn, the meek, and the hungry. Those are the ones that I put in this. The poor, those that mourn, the meek, and the hungry. The poor. How do you... <coughs> blessed are the poor in spirit. If I'm remembering this correctly, and I should have rechecked, I, I think in, in Luke's version it's just blessed are the poor. Here we have blessed are the poor in spirit. And I just think that's really significant. I'm not going to go into this. But I think when it says poor here, it's most, these people most likely were poor in reality, but allowed that to, have, to affect their spirit positively. Right? Let me say it again because I stumbled over it. Okay, blessed are the poor, right? In spirit. Poor. These people most likely were, could have been, the majority of them poor, in reality, but Yeshua is wanting them to, as they accept that circumstance, to allow it to affect their spirit positively. So whether you're poor physically or poor in spirit, spiritually, it's, it's still the same. 
You know, I'm the type that thinks if everything is right as it should be at that moment, now I am blessed. And that's why I work so hard to have my little world so organized, you know, so detailed. And when something gets thrown into the midst, you know, I have seen people, so I lost my train of thought here. So if everything's just how it should be, everything's okay. But I have seen a whole lot of poor, so if I have enough money to pay for this, if I have enough money to get that, if I have enough money to maintain this, if, if I have enough money, period, materially speaking, then everything's okay. But, I, you know, in the ministry over the years, I'm thinking of a couple, I just say, well, I won't say who, but in our congregation, they never had anything. I mean, this trailer that they lived in at the, basically about a half a mile from us in a trailer park, once they moved out, <laughs> it was, it was so bad, it was, what's the word? Condemned. Condemned. It was that bad. But they, you know, I would go and visit. The first time I went, I was, I struggled with it because, you know, it's, oh, it was that bad. It, it was that bad. It was just that bad. And uh, I got in and it was worse than that bad. But I got talking to this couple, husband and wife, never had any kids, this mangy, smelly dog, dark, dark, dank, dimness. But they were saved, born again, and they did not allow their poverty to rob them of what I'm trying to get across. Their, their spirit never turned negative, never once turned negative. That to me is truly a blessed person who can be poor, but still has a spirit that rejoices. Now, I'm, not, I'm here to say that's just not me. But in their circumstances of so poor, they never allowed it to affect their spirit negatively. They always had a positive spirit. All right? You have those that mourn, who have suffered loss or heartache. That's the circumstance. The meek, perhaps, this is what I think. When it's, you know, meek, if you think about, you know, because I drive a school bus with kids, the meek person gets what to them? Beat up. You know, gets abused. Well, blessed are they that meek. Perhaps those that have been mistreated or abused, as so often happens to meek people. They're, they're the targets. <laughs> you know, they get poked fun of, made fun of, beat up, spit on. If you've been to school, you know how it is. And then you have, under this category of circumstances, hungry. I mean, it's the same idea as a poor. So we can, are supposed to be and can be blessed if we're poor, mourn, mourning, meek, maybe abused, and are hungry. I don't know. I get so convicted by this in the, in the right sense. You know, would I be the people in Hebrews 11 that are living in caves and dens and clothed with animal skin? 
feeling very blessed? Well, you know, blessed are those that are poor to the point of abject hunger. That's what's happened in Hebrews 11 that's talked about. All right? Anybody following me? I feel like nobody's here with me listening today. All right. So with one's circumstances. Second of all, with one's opportunities. That's verses 7, 8, and 9. And what are the opportunities? I think it's to show pity, to manifest purity, and to be at peace. That's the opportunities. Verse 7, blessed are the merciful. These are the ones that are able to uh, express in the right sense a sense of pity to those that, that are, that are uh, in need. So blessed are the merciful, those that can show pity. You know, it's that guy at work who says, and he told me just the other day, he said, I'm so glad you talked to me. I try to talk to these guys, and I don't get anything from them. And I said, you know, it is hard to relate. If you've not been through cancer, you know, and, and somebody talks to you about somebody that you know has cancer, it, it's, it, you know, I try to cut these other people some slack. You know, it's hard to enter in if, if you've not been through what that person is talking about. Well, the circumstances of life. Um, it's an opportunity to show or demonstrate, whether in, in your own life or to somebody else's, th this trait of, of being merciful, or I'm putting it, to, to show a right sense of pity. And then, because I, I'm an alliter a person who likes to alliterate, I need a peace. So then you have verse 8, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Somebody tell me what that means. Honestly. I mean, I don't need, I don't want answers right now, but I don't need theological answers for this. Is your heart pure this morning? How pure is your heart? How pure does a heart have to be for a pure heart to be pure? You know, how many things does a wood chuck chuck if a wood chuck could chuck chuck? Wood. You know, how pure does my heart have to be? What, what is pure? Blessed are the pure in heart. Okay, it goes to motives. I mean, there's a whole different ways of looking at it, but I, I think of purity, pure. And then what's it mean to see God? I mean, I understand that, but I'm talking on this level of trying to not answer it and explore beyond the regular answers. Well, the only thing I know is we, we are, the only purity we're going to, the only type of purity that's going to enable one to see God are those that have a pure heart through salvation in Yeshua, and because of that pure heart, they can then see that Yeshua is who and what he is. But that falls short. I mean, you go throughout your day. How often does the purity within get tainted? Okay, so if we look at that, maybe that's those moments when we, all of a sudden God kind of just gets out of, uh, out of the line of sight. You know, uh, the focus, of, I, I don't know, I, I'm doing what I said I didn't want to do. But, you know, that's these, these opportunities to show or demonstrate pity, purity. Uh, you know, I don't know what to do, you know, to deal with the pure in heart, they shall see God. I understand, <laughs> woe is those whose heart isn't pure because they ain't going to see God. I got that. I understand that one. But... Anyway, everything I've already said, don't want to say it half a dozen times more. All right, then the last one, peace, and the other opportunity, to, be, to show peace, to be at peace. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. So, so that's one's opportunities, to show or demonstrate pity, purity, or peace. 
to be at peace. You know, and it's interesting, blessed are the peacemakers, next verse, you're going to be persecuted. It's interesting, those who are the peacemakers are the ones that's, without even trying, you know, peacemakers from, from a biblical point of view, their very life just stirs up all kinds of trouble. It just does. And it was interesting listening to this preacher. He made that point. You know, it's, it's interesting that those, the believers that are the true peacemakers, and it could be talking about not just reconciliation among man, but bringing reconciliation between man and God, and that's where the real rub is. That's my thought. It gets them in trouble. It gets them in trouble. You know, I mean, Coy, you probably experienced it. Luke with your customers. You know, me at work. You know, how often we're, we struggle to keep our mouth shut because we know if we open our mouth in that circumstance or in that conversation that was just brought up, oh, hell is going to break loose. But we are the true peacemakers amongst people and amongst man and God. And the truth is, especially when it comes to bringing man to be reconciled with God, hard truth has to be said to pave the way to that ultimate peace with God. And we have to be willing to go there. So, now, the last point. Uh, what's the basis of all this? All right, so let me just recap on my points. I'll just give them to you. The backdrop, verses 13, 4, 13 through 16. The break, 5, 1 through 2, the setting in the sayings. 3, then he gets into blessed, who or how blessed in one's circumstances, and one's opportunities, and one's trials. All right, so what's the basis for all this to happen? Well, um, it's obedience. Hey, Luke. Um, uh, I lost my thought. Oh, the basis for this is obedience to the Word of God. It's obedience to the Word of God. Now, go with me up to Matthew 7. We're going to look at two passages in close. Go to Matthew 7. Obedience to God's Word. Um, Matthew 7, uh, 21 through 23. So this is Yeshua. We're still talking. Uh, this is still the within a sermon. He's kind of winding things down here. He started with blessed. Now we're coming to the end and he's narrowing it down really with the criteria. You want to be able to experience and do and live out everything I've said. Here it is. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, Yehovah, Yehovah. Not even those who say that Yeshua was God, Matthew 7, 21. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. Okay, great news. How then? But he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say unto me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name have cast out devils? And in thy name have done many wonderful works? Whoa. I mean, that's, that's a great resume. Well, Yeshua's conclusion at the end of the interview, Then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work 
Torahlessness. And that's really what is there. Iniquity. Ours says, King James says, iniquity. But it's the idea of Torahlessness. What's the basis of all the blessings? Obedience to God's word. What is going to be the criteria of judgment at the end? The Torah. Genesis to Revelation. And those that are Torah-less and have manifested Torah-lessness are the ones that are going to be shut out of the kingdom. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for those, theirs is the kingdom. Who gets into the kingdom? Who doesn't get into the kingdom? Those that do what I say. Because he goes on and talks about that. The, the, the imagery is staggering. The Torah in the flesh has just talked about himself to the multitudes. He then closes by saying, those that reject me, the workers of Torahlessness, are not going to get into the kingdom. How is that manifested? By those that do the Shema. Hear, O Israel. Hear me and do it. Those that do it, they're going to weather the storms of life, just like I started telling you at the beginning, crowd. With the Beatitudes, who's not getting in? Who are the Torahlessness? Those that hear what I'm saying, don't do it. Their house is headed to destruction. And woe will be that destruction. And then go up to Luke 11. And here just one verse. Oh, let's see. So I don't, not really interested in the context, but we'll do it in verse 27. And it came to pass, as you should have spoke these things, a certain woman of the company lifted up her voice and said unto him, This is the first papist. <laughs> papist? This is the first papist, papist, you know, pope, pape. You know, this is veneration of Mary the mother. That was a joke. Nobody got it because I did it poorly. But anyway. And it came to pass, as he spake these things, a certain woman of the company lifted up her voice and said, Blessed is the womb that bare thee and the paps which thou hast sucked. All right, that's Luke eleven, twenty-seven. Now, this isn't it, but you can see Mary veneration already happening here. And Yeshua just knocked that right off the table. But he said, Yea, rather, blessed, here's our word, are they that hear the word of God and keep it. You know, how Yeshua responded and didn't respond is a lesson. It's, it's amazing. You know, me, I would say, oh, thank you. I appreciate, you know, the kind words that you had to say about my mother. You know, my mother, she really was a great mother. I mean, because of her, basically, I mean, I am who I am today. Thank you very much. But I need to say, well, we don't get any of that. You know, your mother and brother are without wanting to, to, to talk to you. Who, who's my mother and brother? It's these sitting in front of me that hear me and do what I say. It's wonderful. I mean, the basis of all blessing, yea, rather, 
Beatitude, extension, are they that hear the word of God and keep it. Blessed are those that hear me, recognize me, accept me for what I am. God in the flesh, Jehovah on earth. And then live it out. As I already talked about in Matthew chapter 5 through 7. So that's the basis of it all. Did I do this? I'm enjoying myself today. Usually it's the other way around. I'm not. I'm wondering if anybody else is. But I just, I just love this. To me, this is just incredible, incredible. This whole thing of Matthew 5, 6, and 7. It just sets the backdrop for everything else. And, and then the Beatitudes say, folks, this is life. It's either going to knock you down or with my help, it can make you stronger. Let me tell you about it. And then I'm going to live it out in front of you so that you can realize that I was, as I was blessed doing the will of my Father through it all, if you will do my word and follow after me, you, though it may end up in death, as apparently most think it happened for all of the other 11 that lived, except for John on the Isle of Patmos, but that's a slow death. Okay, I gotta shut up. But anyway, you know. It's, uh, <laughs> all right, let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word and for blessing me with these beatitudes in a way I, I've never been able to enter in. And thank you, Father, for our Savior who um, was willing to come down here and to put himself through all of this and to have to deal with us so that he could then get us right with himself to spend eternity with him. I'm glad that he's gone to prepare for us. Hey, I'm glad he's there waiting for us. Mighty warriors arise, yeah. Freedom does not away. So that... Make it live in our Savior's name. Amen. <clears throat>